Hello and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson. And I'm Joe Lalo. And for this week's show, we are going to go back to the basics to talk about how to launch a successful series. And I was skimming through our back episodes and I was kind of shocked that I don't think we have actually put this all together in one for you yet. So hopefully you'll find something helpful. Uh, We're going to assume you didn't read Right to Market, although, of course, we recommend Chris Fox's book, and also that you didn't try to design your series for success. Like we're, you know, we're just going to assume it's your first series. Like most of us just were happy to get the books done and we didn't know anything about marketing early on. And we're also going to assume you're not a super fast writer who's going to rapid release the first five books. Um, If you did read Right to Market and you are, a super fast writer great that's gonna make everything a little bit easier but you shouldn't feel you have to do those things especially if you're on your first series um like i said if you're like most authors you wrote the book of your heart or books of your heart if it's a series and didn't worry until you'd finished one or more of them and about the marketing stuff and whether there was an audience and what kind of covers you would put on them um but before we jump into our main topic our only topic today did want to give you a little heads up we have a maybe two or three more episodes planned of the show, but we are actually going to be wrapping things up here this spring. And this is um, nothing to do with you guys. You guys are awesome. This is a little bit about Lindsay not wanting to work as much anymore and um, hopefully doing a little more travel and uh, enjoying time and just not having that weekly commitment. It's a little bit of a, a buzzkill, which I'm sure nobody has said in at least 25 years, except for me, because I'm not cool. But um, Andrea and Joe, do you have any thoughts on or anything you want to say to the listeners before we jump into our topic? Uh, yeah, just I want to I make it clear that this isn't a matter of us deciding the show isn't worth it. Uh, I mentioned this plan to a couple people uh, prior to this announcement. And the general assumption was that we were disappointed that the show wasn't more successful or that it wasn't more profitable. And that's not the case. Like neither this show nor the previous one, the, the, the fantasy and sci-fi one uh, was ever about generating profit. I mean, you know, we would have taken the money, but it wasn't, we didn't start. In fact, we purposely didn't monetize until uh, there was an error that needed to be corrected. And the only way that we could get uh, tech support was by being in the, the, the partner program. Um, I don't even have a nonfiction presence besides the show. So this show wasn't even about helping me sell any kind of books or build any sort of authority. This was a way to collect and distribute information. And uh, the limited resource here was time, not money. And unfortunately, there's not really a way to get more time. So when that becomes a sticking point, there's there's not a whole lot of flexibility in it. So we're like Lindsay said, the audience has been fantastic and we've gotten a tremendous amount out of it. But, you know, availability is becoming an issue. And that's the only reason why we're going to wrap it up. Buzzkill. Weekly <laughs> commitment. <laughs> Weekly commitment, buzzkill. Yeah, finances never once crossed my mind while we were discussing whether to continue or not. And I was kind of surprised by that. I was like, really? No, no, it, this was never about money. I mean, how much money did we spend versus how much we made from the show? <laughs> it's like, what, it's not a contest or competition. Uh, anyway, um, I've absolutely loved being in the show. I've loved being with Lindsay and Joe. Um, they both know that I was a wild fan of their previous show. And so being able to work with them has been a lot of fun. Uh, I love teaching. You guys should know that by now because, you know, I've got my author courses, which the only reason I put them out was so that I could teach. <laughs> I don't ever really do anything with them. Um, but I mean, listeners know my situation is really cra- crazy. And with me and Nolan wanting to start trying for another baby here soon, and we were honestly putting it off until the end of the show. And I just turned 40 on Monday <laughs> and we'd originally discussed ending the show uh, in the fall. And I was like, 
I'm 40. I don't want to wait until the fall. My baby's three now. Anyway, so, so we're going to actually, and I'll, I'm, I'm like, I think I'm blushing. I'm like talking about getting pregnant and all that live. Right. But anyway, so um, we're going to actually start trying as soon as the show's done pretty much. And so I'll, I'll announce on Facebook when, if um, I'm able to get pregnant, pregnancy does not happen easily for me. Um, anyway, so I get really, really sick when I'm pregnant and my schedule is already a pain to work around. So adding that to the mix just didn't sound like fun. And so when Lindsay's like, let's end the show, I was like, I kind of, I'm kind of okay with that. <laughs> like, like it's been a lot of fun and I'm really going to miss doing it and hanging out with Lindsay and Joe, especially. Um, but it'll be really nice not to have to plan around it anymore. Um, and then I, of course, plan to stay active in the Facebook group as active as I get. Of course, I'm only on Facebook a couple of times a week during regular weeks. And when I'm in the middle of writing, I get on even less than that. Um, but I'm going to be head and sand writing more books, like I was just saying, and um, really looking forward to digging into my next project, which at this point is um, the doc, next doc, Alpine Hospital romance book. And anyway, so yeah, I've loved doing the show and I, I've really loved and appreciated getting to know our listeners. And um, <clears throat> yeah, that's pretty much it. My comments on that. So <laughs> All right. As long as you don't start trying while the show is recording, I don't think you need to blush. And you're such a young pup there, 39, <laughs> you and Joe. I'm not 39. I'm 40. I thought you said you just turned. Okay. You just turned yeah, 40. on Monday. Yeah. Okay. Well, happy birthday. Thanks. All right. Well, let's talk about our topic, shall we? Uh, just for those who have already forgotten, as we get older, we forget things more quickly. It's on how to launch a successful series. And um, we've kind of broken it up into, we'll call them subtopics, things to consider. And we all have kind of a list of things to share with you. Just keeping in mind, if one of our suggestions just doesn't sound good to you, you know, you don't have to do what we say, but <laughs> at this point, I've launched quite a few series. So uh, trying to share some of the wisdom, things I've learned. All right. So when you're just getting started, and obviously if you're a couple books into it, it may be a little late for this, but just keeping in mind when you're planning things for this one, continuing this one or for the next one, I've, I find that these days it's really good to do at least five books in a series kind of to make the advertising work because you'll find that you have to spend more and more to get people into book one as time goes on. And so the more books you have after it that readers will go on and buy at full price, the more you can afford to spend advertising book one. Of course, you may find that there's diminishing turn returns somewhere down the road, like you might start losing people. Um, so I, I feel like it's a good idea not to necessarily plan. I have to, this is going to be 12 books, but kind of plan in some flexibility, maybe having an overarching story for those writing those kind of series. Uh, maybe you have the flexibility to go from five to eight, depending on how well it does. You, you know, you might want to wait for the first three books or so to decide <laughs> and kind of see how things are going. Um, another suggestion is to have, like I said, an overarching story or at least a mystery or something to be solved that's going to compel readers to continue on to the next book and the next one after that. Like it may be, like if you're doing detective stories or something like that where everyone, everybody has to have a, like the mystery gets solved in each story, but maybe you've got some mystery going on with the character in his background or he's searching for his uh, missing lost wife or what, you know, whatever it is, something that makes the reader feel they have to read the next one, even though they did get a complete story. Story. Uh, something that works well we've talked about for romance where you want to have a different couple in every in every one it's this sort of you'll see this a lot with successful romance authors they're kind of introducing the future couples the potential couples or at least one half of them uh, in the previous books so for romance consider 
like leaving the really intriguing super hunky hero or, or the one that you just kind of know he's got the he or she has the best background and so he's gonna be a character that the fans are just like oh i can't wait till that person gets their story and maybe you do them at the end um, for non-romance, you know, uh, you're going to want an identifiable protagonist that you're going to follow throughout the series. Kill off the main character or start book two with another character at your own risk. Um, the, <laughs> I just find this stuff does not work well. Um, it's really tough. You basically have to really sell the reader on the next book. And, and this, in the same age where they can read this sample, sample uh, you know, 10% before buying the book, they're going to know if the main, if the character from the last book is not in the next one, it's not like the olden days where <laughs> they just like, Oh, surprise when they got the, the book from the bookstore. Um, from romance uh, where you can't have the same protagonist in each one uh, a lot of people will do like a consistent setting or concept like the small town that the the reader falls in love with it almost acts as a protagonist and people want to know more about what's unfolding in this town or you know maybe you're doing a hospital if you happen to be doing medical romance something like that so just keep those things in mind always be thinking how am I going to keep readers interested to want to pick up the next one in the series uh, one other thing for me to consider when you're planning your hopefully successful series is to write in the tense and point of view that's typical of successful books in your genre. Like if first person present is all the rage and all that you grab the top 10 in the, you know, the genre where you're going to be targeting when you release your books and they're all first person present, guess what? It's time to learn how to write some first person present. Um, but if you're right, you decide you want to do second person past or something like that and there's nobody else doing that in your genre among the successful books you may want to think twice about that like some I know it's natural as a writer to have like a certain intent and style that calls to you but honestly you can probably stretch yourself and learn how to do different, different things so just keep that in mind because I've, I've seen people where they, they do a funky uh POV tense and it's just like oh this is not common for your genre and they do it over and over again and they're like why am I not having any success and it's not to say you can't succeed doing something like that but why put obstacles in your path you know um, last one for me to think about with planning especially in your book one is good pacing keep the description backstory world building to a minimum in book one especially the first third once people are really engaged in the story they're probably going to be interested enough to want to get some of that stuff but you can really slow down and bog down the reader by trying to cram a lot of that into the sample pages all right and uh, joe and andrea also have some of these yep um so as uh Lindsay said flexibility is super useful. Lindsay talks about having five plus books as a plan. I usually target six. I find that works well for me. Um, but it pays to have plans for both greater and lesser success. The ability to pull the plug and finish up a series in a satisfying way early may be useful and appealing for folks who aren't committed to a longer term build you know, of a following. Like if, 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 you, if your following is not growing quickly, you can build it over time with the longer series, even if it didn't take off the way you hoped. But if you're really hoping for, for success up front, there's the possibility you're going to want to abandon a series. And it's better to complete that series and have a complete series to work with in your backlist than to just pull the plug on it. I've done both. And uh, of the two, completing a series is better. 
But also, if you succeed, this means, you know, as Lindsay said, extending the series, but it's also useful potentially to uh, have it set up such that you have a, a spin-off or sequel series uh, option. Like, take the character that turned out to be the runaway success that people really liked and spin that character off into their own series that you can then use as a, as a second entry point for people who didn't read the first series. But So try to write it such that they can pick it up from there. But people who did read the first series will be super excited to continue on and read more about that character. Or likewise, you can just split off and have a, a sequel series with all of the same characters. You just have to be careful about how you write that first one so that it reintroduces the characters in a way that you didn't need to read the first book. So the books can be considered backstory, but uh, uh, doesn't retread so much stuff that people who read the first one feel like the first three chapters are complete throwaway. Uh, and also put some thought into series branding. We'll talk about the visual aspects of this later, but uh, you'd be surprised how much of a difference it can make to have a short catchy series name that works well as an acronym this is a weirdly specific thing but so many of the uh, of the more successful franchises that, that you look at specifically have a really short easy name uh you don't want to go too far in the unique direction like for example structophis uh you also don't want to go too far in the short and easy direction like between these are two names that i have used that were poor decisions and uh, probably avoid using the series and the first book having the same name like the Book of Deacon. You'll note that if you've been listening to the series, the show long enough, I am usually defined by my errors. So uh, there they are for you. And, and uh, Andrea, what have you got? Um, I've got uh, comments. <laughs> Joe just gave me a thumbs up. Okay, so uh, I just have a comment on the series of standalone books. So if if you do them and um, like not every series is going to work out perfectly the way you want to. Like I, I wanted to have, you know, that whole tying couples throughout the whole series and have them all have their own part. And that didn't end up working for this last series of mine. And so if you do standalone books in a series, make sure that each and every book is a perfect package and re leaves readers satisfied and happy. Um, so basically it follows the formula that they expect from the genre and from you. And you're going to, I mean, for those of you who don't like writing to market, make sure it, I don't even, I don't have advice for you right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm really cranky today. Very tired. I hate daylight savings anyway. So, um, um, but if you're writing to market, make sure you understand what the subgenre is that you're writing, what the genre is that you're writing and how, what readers expect when they're right, reading. Um, so let's see. And where am I in my notes right here? Okay. So if they know what they're going to get from when they're, when they're looking for, if they know they're going to get what they're looking for with every book of yours, they pick up, they'll read more, even if there aren't any loose ends throughout the series. Like for example, with, with romances sometimes, and, and I'm talking clean romance, wholesome romance, like the, the sweet romance, it's that warm fuzzy. If they know that the ending, if they're going to be glued to the page and if the ending is going to be just really well pulled off, then they're not going to care. And this is me talking from my own experience and my mom, because, you know, she's my, my little romance reader. Uh, she does one a book, one book a day. Anyway, if, if they know that that's what they're going to get from every book of yours, they're going to read more. Uh, if you drop the ball though, they're not going to be as willing to pick up the next book. 
Um, as an avid romance reader, when I find an author who delivers romance books the way I like them, I hunt down every single book they have written this romance. I don't generally read their other genres. <laughs> I'm one of those typical readers. Um, I'll hunt down every single romance book they've written and devour them within days of reading the first one. Uh, if the author drops a ball on my own reader expectations, I stop reading them. So my own reader expect expectations are, I want a book that's the romance. I don't want subplots and sub interests and side characters that take the story for a while. I want the romance. Um, if it's just one book out of many that I like, uh, I'll continue trying. So if it's just one book that has problems out of a lot of them that I've really loved, I'll continue trying them. But if they do it more than once though, I stop reading. Um, and sometimes, sometimes I'll try again, but I generally just don't. Uh, this applies to other standalone genres, not just romance, thrillers and murder mysteries and cozy mysteries, et cetera, all the same for me. Um, I will say Jack Reacher. I used to read Jack Reacher books all the time, but then when they started switching them over from paperback to eBooks, they didn't have them edited as well. I don't know if you guys ran into this with traditionally published books, but tons and tons of errors. And I just was like, uh, this is a waste of my time. And so I haven't picked them any, any up lately. Um, Okay, so my next point to go off of both of Lindsay and Joe's thoughts on length of series, something to consider is how much of a readership you have. If you're established, longer series are almost always the best way to go um, unless you see that it's going to fall apart. But if you're just starting out committing to a long series from the, Spart from the Spartacus, start might not be the best idea. A trilogy allows you to escape and start a new series without feeling like a failure when the series doesn't do as well. It also helps you learn what readers want and what your voice is faster, thereby getting you to longer and more profitable series in the future. So if you're starting out, plan for a trilogy, maybe. Um, if you're confident how readers will react, go longer. Um, and then, of course, make sure the books, the series warrants more books. Some stories should be told faster than others and in fewer books. And we all know authors that fill their books full of fluff, and we don't want to read those authors. So, <laughs> Yeah, one of, the nice, one of the reasons I like to suggest people uh, do kind of have that overarching mystery or something else going on is because you sometimes re readers will like keep going. They'll like hate read your series because they have to know what happens. Um, and that's not to say that you want them to hate read your books, but at the same time, like, you know, you have to be, it's kind of a gift to like really just write the kind of characters and stories that readers fall in love with. And like, you have a voice that really makes loyal readers. So to count on that is tough. So stack the deck in your favor, I guess is the only thing I would say there. All right, we're going to move on to talk a little bit about choosing blurbs and cover art that will help you sell books. Um, so this is where if you didn't choose to write to the market or didn't know anything about that when you designed your first uh, series, which is most of us, <laughs> um, and you feel like you're kind of, especially if you feel like you're sort of cross-genre, you're like, oh, well, I'm a little bit steampunk, I'm a little bit mystery, oh, maybe I'm some Christian fantasy <laughs> in there too. Uh, my recommendation is to pick a genre, like whichever one it falls, whichever one you think your book is like, closest to or hits on some of the popular tropes of x genre probably the one to go with and then study the cover art and blurbs in the top 100 on amazon to see what's selling make yours look like theirs i did not do this with my first series i mean i feel fortunate that i got readers anyway i made that book one free early on and that's something that helped people were kind of like oh, i don't know what this cover is about but i i guess i'll give it a try because it's free uh, I learned along the way that people actually want, and I've said this before, they want the same, more of the same that they know they like, but different. So it's the inside that will be different and hopefully shine and attract people once they get your book. But deviate from what's selling at your own peril. It's just going to be easier if you're 
package looks like it fits in with other packages, other books that people that you think are your readers have read and liked. Also, please, 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 when it comes to your blurb, I would say for all blurbs, but especially early on or especially your book one in your series, make sure that your editor or your beta readers has looked it over so there's no typos or grammatical errors or anything confusing. I see so many blurbs. I'm just like, whoa, maybe this makes sense after you've read the book, but that's, that is not what the, you know, you want it to intrigue people to read the book. Uh, so, you know, don't put in a lot of like proper names, Nate and fantasy people were the worst at this, you know, <laughs> anything that's confusing. If you have a bunch of proper capitalized things in there, it's probably going to be confusing. So also try to get maybe a couple of people who aren't familiar with your story to point out anything confusing in your blurb. Go ahead, Joe. All right. Uh, so for blurb length, there's debates over whether short or long blurbs sell better. Uh, and there's evidence to suggest that different genres have different expectations for their blurbs. But just be mindful of the fold. Like there are, uh, you know, you're only going to see a certain amount of your your uh, blurb uh, without either scrolling down or clicking read more. So make sure that the useful part is right near the top <laughs> so they get to it quick or make sure that you only have that small amount um you want to get you want to get the entire the, the reader enticed so that they will e- you know either just straight out buy the book that'd be fantastic or at the very least read the rest of your blurb so give get something punchy up front uh it's it's gotten much easier on amazon to use formatting so i would recommend uh using the bold to uh, draw the eye to key parts of your blurb this is Possible to varying degrees on most of the uh, the the storefronts, but Amazon's the really the only one that I that I do this with. Um, I like to start with a one sentence hook or tagline and end with a one sentence call to action, and have them both be bold so that they draw the eye. And they should contain everything that you need to know why the book is interesting. Just a, a an intriguing first line and a reason why you should be reading, and then uh, you know a paragraph of additional information in the middle. And if I feel as though I want to put a gigantic long blurb, uh, everything underneath that second bolded line is stuff that I, uh, you know, I'm okay if they don't read it. But for for people who need an additional, you know, handholding, they get more of that. I have stopped putting stuff underneath the second bolded line. Uh, my blurbs are getting smaller and smaller as I go. Uh, also, keep in mind branding when you're doing your covers. Like I mentioned branding earlier. Uh, you want the books in a series to look like part of a series. This can obviously be achieved by having the same character on the cover of each of the books, but typography can do it really well too. Um, this, uh, you know, just if you have a prominent logo or series name on the cover, that's obviously a very easy way for people to recognize that it's part of a series. And uh the Coin of Kenvard, the Book of Deacon, Book Six, would be an example of that. I didn't do that because the Book of Deacon, Book Six, puts the word "book" twice in four words. Like, again, there's all sorts of reasons that you shouldn't be looking at my books necessarily for good examples of this stuff, especially not the Book of Deacon because it was my first series. But um, if you use um, bonus well, bonus points on this if you're going for a longer term career if you can find a way to have a common thread of visuals through the covers of all of your series uh that is fantastic you'll see this a lot where traditional authors especially once they've been big enough they will uh uh have gigantic names and little titles which i don't necessarily recommend or or you know advise against but uh very frequently like there will be a dedicated author 
font. Like the, the author name will be in its own font and that will be the same across the entire library of that author. So that people will basically see your name, like what you would call a word mark in advertising uh, and just brand your entire series in that way. And uh, yeah, so like anything you can do to get people to identify your series or your library as uniquely yours is going to really help people, you know, pick up your books, even if they, even if they missed you announcing them, they'll just see it on the shelf or see somebody else talk about it. Like, Oh, I know that guy and grab it right away. It's a good way to, to, to keep fans. Okay. So my first point here is to pay attention to trends and fads, like what we're already talking about and pick ones that work for you. Uh, not every single trend or fad is going to work for you and shouldn't be employed. Um, for a while, there was a trend to use abrupt and short sentences and descriptions with a lot of white space before between them. This worked really, really well for some authors, but for others, it was an absolute failure. And I happen to be one of those authors. <laughs> it's like, uh, I, my, my downloads, they, they went, they went down. It was like noticeable when they went down. And so I tend to be, um, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know what I tend to be. I told you I'm cranky and tired today. So anyway, so don't hesitate to try things out, but be willing to switch back or to something else entirely when you find that it's not working for you. And then how that applies to book covers. Right now, there's a trend for all of the romance covers to be illustrated vectors. And um, actually today I was actually, that I wrote this earlier and I was actually looking today for uh, romance book covers. And a lot of them are currently like beach read type book covers, which you know sucks for those who don't write beach read. But those ve- those illustrated vectors, super popular, and I suspect part of why is because they're cute and fresh and bubbly and fun, and stock images for couples were beginning to get hard to find. Um, just But just because almost all authors are moving this way doesn't mean it'll work for you. And if it does, it doesn't mean it'll always work. There's a reason why back in the day, people used to say, and we still do sometimes, you know, you need to double, you need to check what's selling and then update your book covers accordingly every few years. You know, some book series don't ever need to be changed, but it, that doesn't, it, you know, doesn't always mean it will be, um, yours. Let's see. Okay. So don't just stick to the same cover design for branding and covers, make sure the artwork is similar. Um, and Joe already talked about this, but it, and I read his comments. It's funny. I'm like repeating him, <laughs> I read what he was going to say. And here I am anyway. So, um, like, I, I still see book series where they, you know, they don't have the same overall color scheme. So like they'll have, um, like, you know, that blue tint that you'd use in Photoshop that people will put on like the urban fantasy or fantasy or green tint or whatever. And then they'll all of a sudden have a really random yellow tint one. And then they'll go back to the blue tint for all the rest of the covers, unless your book covers, all of them are going to have different colors. Uh, and that's a pattern you're going to set. Don't have one of them be slightly different than all the rest of them. Um, if your books usually have a relic or an artifact or a magical object on them, don't randomly randomly throw a person on them instead, unless it's like a side story and you're trying to show that it is different from the main ones. Um, let's see. You want the books to be immediately recognizable as being in the same series. And then like Joe was saying, um, use the same typography at, for your author name. Use the same size color everywhere on your book covers with that series. And in some cases, you're going to want to do that for all of the books that you write, not just the ones that are in that series, just because it helps brand you as an author. And then also in within a series, make sure you put that author name in the exact same spot in all the book covers. Um, so you're not alternating between the top and the bottom. Um, and then here's something that I'm personally sometimes guilty of. Don't skip on descriptions for later books in a series. So like if you've got the, you've got the hook and then you've got two, maybe three paragraphs of good meat on the story. And then you've got the closing hook. 
And you do that your first, second, maybe third book. And then your fourth book, you're like, bam, one paragraph description. Don't do that. And, and, and I'm guilty of this. Um, even if someone has read the first four books, doesn't mean they'll automatically buy book five. If you don't entice them with a well-written blurb, they may choose not to download, even if they enjoyed earlier books in the series. Not only that, but casual readers who come across that book during launch week or any time later uh, will be more likely to go and download the other books in the series if they're intrigued by the description for book five. Basically, if it has a professional front to it that matches what other authors are doing in your genre. Again, same with book covers, though you're going to want to make sure the strongest cover is on your first book. Um, so don't skimp on later books and book covers in a series. I mean, sometimes you kind of have to, depending on budget, but or your cover designer if they go on a, the fritz or something like that. But yeah, just have them be as professional as possible. And back to Lindsay. I'm kind of laughing at the. Um... It's like great in theory to have the, the same font and author name and consistency across all your books. But once you've written in like six different genres and use like six or 10 different cover designers, that plan kind of goes out the window. I remember thinking early on, oh, wouldn't that be a good idea? But um, no, I think for sure, series consistency. If you can achieve that, <laughs> you can probably uh, do well. But yeah, if you if you have like a great cover designer you work with, or if you're a really artsy person yourself, and you're smart enough to think, oh, I should get the fonts and everything that they use. So I know that if I have to switch to someone else in the future, we can maintain that consistent look. Um, definitely worth doing. But you c- don't worry about your career. If you <laughs> if you don't, I will speak from experience. I'm, I have a different look with every series. And it just it is what it is. All right, well, let's move on and talk a little bit about preparing bonus material to entice newsletter newsletter signups and also to like get new readers to buy a, a new book one and a new series. So we've talked about this before on the show, but the two ones I recommend preparing, and you're probably going to want to do this, be thinking about this while you're working working on book one, like what, what are the, you know, the first couple books before you publish them, if you're going to rapid release, like what would make uh, a good bonus what would make good bonus material that the readers would be drawn to and that you would also be interested in writing so i i I usually recommend that even if you're not a fast writer and you're just going to publish book one and then maybe it's another year or two before book two comes consider writing maybe two bonus short stories or novellas that kind of go with your first book one can be a completely free giveaway with an excerpt of book one in the back this is the one that you're going to throw out there everywhere publish for free on all the sites, you know, you can do newsletter things, builder things with other authors too, by using it, you know, give it its own cover, make it a, a complete ebook, even if it's a short story or a novella. And it should tie in closely to book one and be a complete story, not a cliffhanger anything that's going to make the reader feel cheated. You want them to get a complete experience, but maybe it's a short story. And, and this is what I did with my first series. I happened to have it because I'd submitted to magazines forever, but uh, it really highlighted the two main characters, male and female lead. They uh, have this charisma and bantered and uh, they became by book six, a romantic couple, you know, it was like a slow burn romance kind of thing. But that short story, it was only like maybe six, 7,000 words, but it, it just showed them having an adventure together. And then I put an excerpt for book one and said, if you want to see the story of how these characters met, you can check out book one. And uh, that was what the first thing when I made that free that started leading to sales of book one. Because guess what, guys? I was not successful right off the bat, not in the least. I had a lot of like, will you please buy my book on uh, message boards when uh, my first one came out. So first one, side story, uh, novella, something that stands on its own, but it's going to entice people to want to check out the book. 
for the second thing you're going to write, the bonus thing, this should appeal to those who have just read book one. You can put it to them uh, in the back of the book. You say, hey, if you want to see more with these characters or if you want to get the POV character that he was not a POV in the book or, you know, something that will be enticing to them after they've finished and hopefully enjoyed your first book. And they will get it in exchange for signing up for your newsletter. And you can use BookFunnel to deliver this. Uh, make sure, of course, even with your first series that you are setting up a newsletter, your website can be super minimal minimalist, but it should have, you know, sign up for my newsletter here. And you could absolutely do another short story or a whole novella. I've, I've used um, prequel novellas from different POVs to some good success, but I've also done just second epilogues. And this can be great, especially with romance where they just really enjoyed this. Maybe you had a wedding in the epilogue or something, but the readers, if they really like your characters, they're like, oh, what happens next? And yeah, I've written a second epilogue. Go here, you know, and maybe it's only 10 or 12 pages or something. And it's just this fun, fluffy scene. A lot of readers really enjoy that stuff, especially if they fall in love with your characters. I've also done bonus scenes from, again, the alternate POV character, like my Death Before Dragon series is all in first person, all from the heroine Val's point of view. So I, I wrote, I did a series of scenes from the first three books that showed her and everything that happened through the dragon protagonist, you know, the main, not protagonist, he's kind of the antagonist in the beginning and later the love interest. But uh, I, I showed all those scenes from the original stories through his eyes. So we got to see in his head and that's the only place that you get that in the series. So that was a really popular thing that people jumped to sign up for and I can kind of gauge the popularity sometimes by how much email I get by people who couldn't figure out how to get it downloaded. It's like, oh, I got a ton of email for that one. Or, you know, so not, hopefully your system is working okay. But it always seems like even book funnels are great. It's never the problem. I'm sure the problem is never on their end. It's always on my end. But if, um, you know, your newsletter, basically, if it goes into somebody's spam folder or something, they're going to be like, where's my free story? And you can kind of gauge which ones are most successful after a while by, based on like how how much email you got <laughs> saying, Hey, I couldn't get it. And I totally need that. So um, those are my recommendations to really get the ball rolling and to get people onto your newsletter so that it's easier to sell the subsequent books in the series to them. You just shout out, Hey, it's out. Please go buy it. You'll enjoy it. Yeah. I, uh, this sh short stuff uh, as newsletter perks and just, you know, as uh, reader magnets, fantastically useful. Certainly helps if you plan these up front, but it isn't necessary. Uh, planning them up front gives you, first off, the op opportunity to use one of them as a lead-in, like preceding the first book. And also make sure that you have them ready for that first initial round to get them off of the first book. But series are, you know, I, I don't, not evergreen. They don't vanish. So adding this into a series later on as a way to potentially uh, bring the, the sales back up uh, but so when you're planning them up front, you can give the option to provide a good linking point to the series, like in the planning phase, like you can have this as part of your initial plan for the series. If you're, if you're planning ahead that much, uh, and it will th therefore give you the ability to have something that feels useful, but not essential because this is key. Your free, uh, reader magnet can't be absolutely necessary to read or else it's basically just the first book. And if people miss it, then they're going to be confused. Um, and uh, if you were able, to, if you produce them later, which tends to happen with me, uh, because my my launch strategy usually involves having the first book as cheap as possible or free, I've essentially using the first book in the place of the reader magnet. But uh, 
if you produce them later, you have additional insight into what people have liked or disliked about the series. And so you can make that that uh, newsletter perk really catered toward what the audience actually likes. Like if you were wrong about what character they think was, was going to, you know, what, if you thought character a was going to be incredibly popular and made that the focus of your newsletter thing. And that turns out character C was a runaway success. You'll know that if you're making your reader, your uh, newsletter perk afterward. So there there's value in doing this either way. Basically, even if you didn't plan this up front. That doesn't mean throw away this as a, as a strategy. It can really be tacked on later on and still have uh, good returns. I love that point, actually, because um, this whole reader magnet thing didn't start until a few years into, you know, our, our author careers. And so my most successful reader magnet is one that I based off of what readers were saying, like, why was he such a jerk to her when they first met? So I was like, hmm, I should write that into a short story. And I've had thousands and thousands and thousands of people download and subscribe to my list just for that. And and it's only ever been available to newsletter subscribers. So um, yeah. Um, Okay. So if you're wondering when to write your bonus material, and and this is based off of questions I get from people I coach. Um, They're like, well, I want to write the next book as soon as possible. I'm like, yeah, you do. But a lot of people have to take a break after writing the first book while that book is off to the editor. And so for me, that is the best time is after the book is finished off to the editor. And it's, it gives me several days to a week to a couple of weeks to write a first story, a short story or an epilogue or a novella. And I don't like to switch back and forth between projects. I don't start another book until the current one is published basically. And so, uh, but writing those little bonus materials, that's, it's a great time to do it while you're waiting for other people. Um, I found that box sets give the best bang for the buck when it comes to reader magnets. I pick the stories that will always be in the box set, put those titles on the 3D book cover. So, you know, the ones that I know will never, ever change. And then I have the last book in that 3D book cover slot say, uh, and more. And so it'll be all these different titles for books. And it says, and more. Then when I have a new epilogue or a new short story or whatever I want to give readers, it's really easy to add it to the box set and upload a new version to book funnel without having to change all of my information everywhere. Um, Use images, speaking about everywhere, use images everywhere. You're advertising your reader magnet. Don't just say, hey, grab a free copy of such and such book by going here. Um, Put an image in and grab reader's attention that way. Um, Images, I don't know if you guys remember back when we were talking, when we did our newsletter um, thing, my whole course on advanced newsletter marketing, but images are proven to have a much, much higher conversion rate than text alone. People read images at a faster rate and they internalize what's in images faster than text alone. And they also, of course, catch attention much better. Um, And then for every entry point into your books, create a new reader magnet and add it to the box set you're giving away. This goes for standalone romances, mysteries, thrillers, et cetera. And for series, the more free stuff you have to offer that isn't available anywhere else, the more enticing that box set will be or your reader magnet or whatever. Um, You have a greater chance of converting readers into true fans when they read more of your work. So don't skip on this stuff. Skimp, not skip. Reader magnets are what made my business explode back in the day. If you're not doing them already, schedule time soon to get them written and ready um, because you won't regret it. Um, and, and just a little bit more about that, the the readers, you, you can have people join your newsletter list who've read one book and then they forget all about you. But if you offer free stuff and the new stuff that goes into your box set, give that to your newsletter list so they don't have to re-download, um, it can reconvert them into being your fan. It can remind them of why they read your books in the first place. I mean, even if you, you stick 
uh, excerpts from that, the new free stuff in your actual email every single time you email. Uh, it gives you something to email about in between book launches, especially if you spread it out across a few emails, depending on how long it is. And it also, like I said, it can reconvert fans or convert existing fans who still haven't tried you out, but are for some reason on your list, maybe through a list builder or their <clears throat> authors who joined your newsletter list after listening to you on a podcast. <laughs> But anyway, so there's so many different things that you can do for reader magnets. This is one of my favorite topics topics to talk about. Um, so thank you, Lindsay, for adding this. <laughs> <laughs> I will say just um, as an alternative, I don't do a box set. I do everything individually. And it, I've thought about putting it in a bundle, but by doing them individual downloads, I can see which ones are popular and which ones. It's like I have this nice list on BookFunnel and I'm like, oh, that one was super popular uh, for that series. I also assume that people, I have so many series too at this point. It's a little different if you're on your first series and not super prolific. So you may only have, might only have one or two bonuses, it, but um, I have resisted the urge to put them together just because it, it does allow me to kind of get the stats and see which ones are still um, being downloaded quite a bit. Oh, and, and I totally agree with you on images being really important on your, like if you're going to do a free short story, like I talked about, I had actually, and I didn't have very much money at the time. This was one of my first series, but I had ordered two covers, one that, I used for the first book and one that I used for that free story, short story. And it was like $200, which was at the time a lot for me. I, I was found a guy in DeviantArt. Um, and it was, so it was a really, it was a very nice, illustrated, attractive fantasy cover. And I, on that story, I was just giving away for free and I, I made it free on Barnes and Noble and I would have made it free on Amazon, but I didn't know how yet then, but that was a kind of a real turning point for me when I really started to sell book ones was after that free story went out everywhere, or at least free on Barnes and Noble and Smashwords, I believe it was at the time. And for the longest time, Barnes and Noble, I sold the most books on there because I had that on there and I didn't know how to get it on Amazon until much later. But you can um, skimp, I would say, on covers that are going to be for people who sign up to your newsletter. I, I definitely have some where it's like, it was, I paid somebody $25 to put a title on like a field of stars because I didn't want to, for like a second epilogue, I think that's what it was for. I was like, I'm not getting a whole special cover for this. So for something like that, you can probably skimp on that end. But if this is going to be your free thing that's enticing them to actually grab it and, and try your stuff, I would invest in, in a good cover for that. And um, yeah. All right, let's move on. <laughs> uh, just a few notes here on pricing, because I, I know that's something that people, even I, I mean, even us, after all this time, we, we dwell on that and think about it when we launch a new series. So the things I would say is see what's typical in your genre. You know, uh, for instance, the top 100s on Amazon are, are nice to look at. Of course, if you're not going exclusive with Amazon, check in all the other stores, but you're probably going to want to have a consistent price for that country across the board rather than, you know, changing prices in different stores, but see what's kind of typical in your genre. Uh, if everything's 99 cents and uh, it might be hard to release a book one at 4.99, but if you see, and I have seen the prices go up since Kindle Unlimited became a thing since that is now another option for people rather than just flat out buying a new author, but don't, you know, you're probably not going to want to go much higher than what you're seeing as very typical price point in your genre, especially for your first book. You may consider a lower price for the first week or two of the launch just to kind of, you know, put a lower barrier of entry to people who are stumbling across you new. Maybe uh, as a completely new author, they might be more likely to try you at $0.99 cents or $2.99 versus $4.99 or $5.99. And it, this is not permanent. Maybe you just, and it can even be a way to 
for your newsletter subscribers that you have to um, entice them to buy right away. Because maybe after two weeks, you put it up to full price. And also, and I think the other guys are going to talk about this a bit, but be careful about launching high and then lowering your price a few weeks later because it's not selling as well as you'd like. If you think there's even a remote possibility of that happening, launch low and then go higher so you're not screwing anybody over that actually bought your book on day one at full price. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've mentioned this in the past, but yeah, don't discount quickly after the launch, keep the price the same or higher for at least six months to a year. I usually do a year, uh, just because I'm, I'm focusing on other stuff. And then it's really fun to do a big promotion when you do that big, um, big price drop. Um, yeah, you don't want to re- burn readers who buy at full price. And the same goes for box sets. Like if you're combining all of your books into a box set, um, unless the box set is the exact same price as buying the book separately, don't box them up until after the books have been out for a while. Um, You want to train your readers to buy at full price and you don't want to burn them when they do. And so um, if you're wide, consider pricing higher though, like Lindsay said, some of the, some of the KU read um, authors that I've been following, their books are like 499, 599, 699, 799. So, I mean, even if you're in KU pricing, I mean, where pricing doesn't matter as much, you know, I mean, consider if you've been doing this for a while, pricing higher or, um, especially if you're wide, you know, that's, that's been advice for a long time. A lot of the readers outside of Amazon aren't as price sensitive as Amazon. And so you can, you can afford to go higher, but again, if you're a new author, pricing lower is a good way to, you know, get people who to, uh, what's the word to love your stuff <laughs> easier. Uh, one of the things that, that helps convince people to purchase books is the presence of a higher priced option. Uh, I don't mean like having your book out twice and one of them costing more, but having a $12 paperback will make your $5 ebook look a lot more attractive. It, the way it is frequently presented uh, on, on Amazon is it sort of treats the cost of the ebook like a discount on the cost of the paperback. Like people will, it feels like the paper, the ebook's on sale, even when it's at full price, when there's a way to buy it in a more expensive way. So a lot of people end up doing paperbacks, not because they expect them to be moneymakers, but because it's, you know, it adds that additional uh, entry into, into the storefronts that costs that much more and makes the other thing look like a bargain. Uh, people with much deeper pockets than me have even used this same reasoning to get uh, audiobooks made because audiobooks tend to price even higher than that. And there's certain pricing conventions that are more popular than others. Uh, $199 famously is a very few people will price it that because it's below the 70% threshold on Amazon. Uh, and so you lose a tremendous amount of money and don't gain much more than you gain off of just selling it for 99 cents. So it's like sort of a no man's land for pricing. But keep in mind also uh, foreign prices. If you just set the base price uh, on Amazon and then have it you know, match it based upon exchange rates at that moment, you're going to get a lot of weird prices in, in foreign stores. It's going to be a lot of 63s and 72s because it's just trying to match as close as possible to the U.S. amount. Uh, it's potentially worth taking the time, taking the two minutes it takes to go through the different storefront pricing options and just moving them to the nearest 99 or 95 uh it will that being a thing too like value-added tax is going to shift that around but basically what we're what we're looking for here is to make it look like it, it's the price it was supposed to be as opposed to some weird random price it's a tiny psychological thing but it makes people feel like you're a little bit more professional when your price the price of your book looks the way the traditionally published books looks in their storefronts so 
little thing, tiny psychological advantage, take everything you can get because it takes very little time. I think it's also worth looking to on Joe's last point at the previous, at the price you published the last book or the previous books in the series at like in the UK or in Germany, because assuming you're publishing them months apart, the exchange rates will change. And sometimes the recommended is like, you know, it'll be 449. And then the six months later, it's 439 is what it translates to when you just tell Amazon, like, base this on dollars. So something to check into. All right, next section, have a consistent publishing schedule for the rest of the books in the series. So it is okay, it's perfectly fine if you publish one book every six months or once a year, but it's awesome if you can be reliable and consistent with the releases. Like maybe every August you have a new book come out comes out because that will train your readers to even if they didn't sign up for your newsletter despite your incredibly awesome teasers that should have got them to sign up you know if you release every year in august for a few years and they're a fan they might start thinking huh let me go check on that one author i like she usually has a book at when my kids are getting ready to go back to school or you know whatever it is in their life uh, that makes you kind of stick in their head so that can be really powerful also especially now Amazon, I think all the stores now allow one-year pre-orders. So if you are an author that it's going to be a while, you might it might be worth investing ahead of time and getting them the cover for the next one and having that pre-order up so that they can order book three as soon as they finish book two. It's just so much easier to get those sales while they're still excited you know, about how oh, book two ended awesome. Of course, I will pre-order book three versus them having to remember to check in August or having to be on your newsletter. And you will find that people over time, people just so many newsletters start going in junk folders or promos folders and people miss them. So the more things you can do to just kind of regularly like people remember you and look for you. That That's great. Um, and as far as if you do, if you are somebody that's like, oh, this is my second or third series, I'm totally going to rapid release the first three. I'm going to bank them up and then just jump into the store and, and be in all the charts and kill it. If you do that, <laughs> that's fine. And you can slow down after that. Like I found that if I, I'll do, I've done series where I rapid release book one, two, three, maybe only like three weeks apart because I wrote those first three in advance. And maybe after that, you can slow down to one every three months, which um, if you are a quick writer, that's probably pretty doable. But uh, we've talked about this before. You probably don't want to release three really quickly and then nothing else for a year. Uh, so again, people tend to forget about you. It's actually, it's interesting, but if people read the books really quickly, you've probably had this experience when you've binged an entire season of a TV show. Like you do not remember that show. Like six months later, you hardly remember anything about it versus you remember probably the same length of season show that you saw in the nineties where you had to like sit down and watch it every Tuesday night. Like you probably remember that better because every week it was imprinting in your head a little bit versus the stuff you binge watch. Just think about that too, with your own books. Um, It can actually, you know, there's pros and cons of doing both ways, but don't feel like if you're not rapid releasing, you're just going to fail because you can't write that quickly. Uh, lots of paths to success, but um, the more consistent you can be in your publishing schedule, the better. Uh, and, you know, take it from me as someone who has done it. One of the biggest things you can do to complicate a series release schedule is to insert unrelated books into the schedule. And again, if this is your first your series uh, and you're planning the series, chances are you're not going to start throwing out random uh, off genre or just separate books. But if you do, um, it, it, it 
it can trip things up. True fans, long-term fans will probably figure out that the book you, that they've been waiting for from you is still coming, but newer readers who were just picked up book one and book two and are excited for book three. And then they see that you release something that is not the next book in that series. There is a not unreasonable, uh, you know, indication to them that, oh, they might not be dedicated to this series anymore. Maybe this series is done. So you really don't want to, uh, you know, you want to get the momentum going and you don't want people to, you know, feel as though you've strayed. Uh, Non-series releases also, unless you've released them, you know, you finished them ages ago, they will be taking time in your writing schedule. And that means that you're slowing down the release of the other books in the series. And again, as we've said, graphic release isn't super necessary, but the, the, the faster that you can release, the better, especially books within a contiguous series. So if you are not just interrupting a series with new book releases, but actually interrupting the writing process of the series with new books, uh, unless you absolutely need that to refuel your writing juices, uh, you know, consider holding off and until the series is on its feet or concluded. Okay, so consistency is one of the hardest parts of being an author for me has been since um, since kids. Even before kids. Um, And now that I understand my personality with the activator focus achiever, I'm like, I jump and I focus and I do it. And then I'm like new project, like automation sequences. I'm going to master automation sequences and stop writing for a whole month. (laughs) So um, it's huge, but scheduling mishaps are almost impossible to work with. So um, I would recommend if you're in a situation like me where you have kids and, or your, your health problems, whatever. So uh, things are basically, unpredictable, then take a few years and you're not going to want to hear this, but yeah, more on that later, but take a few years and um, just see how much you can do reliably and how many you can write and publish in a full year. And then set a goal for that. Uh, Don't kill yourself over this because killing yourself while you're really stressed is called burning out. And I don't recommend burning out or killing yourself while you're stressed or killing yourself in general. (laughs) Um, Anyway, um, let's see. So pick really, I love the idea of picking release months that are the same months throughout the same time throughout the year. So that like what Lindsay was saying, so when your kids are going off to school, when readers, you know, they know that there's going to be a book for you that month, you know, and, um, so pick your release months. It will be the same every single year, then work like crazy to release during those months. And if like me, this really just doesn't work for your situation, do the best you can with your given schedule and write as much as you can so that you have a large backlist for when you can release more reliably. Um, and yeah, every single note I have in here is a caveat to my, my most, my previous point, but pay attention to your personality. Um, like me, if you're like me and holding back books, doesn't work for you. Don't do it. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. Don't even think about if you, I mean, if you have a problem or if it's really hard for you to not release it as soon as it's done and ready to be released, then don't worry about doing it that way. Don't worry about that. That's just, it's just, it's not going to work for you. Um, hold a book until it's it's your month release. If you can, if you are able to write a book and then put it in the drawer for a little while, do that and then wait until it's your month to release. Um, but you're going to want to pay attention to what people do who have similar personalities to yours. And again, that's going to kind of require you to know them and pay attention, but take advice from people who are similar to yours and then see if you can, you can do something that's similar to what they're doing. And then one more last, one last thought on consistency and hard to work with schedules. We're in a marathon, not a sprint. And so when I said earlier, like take a few years and see how much you can do. 
that that can make people panic. But the point is, if if you're an author, you're going to, I mean, are you wanting to do this for the rest of your life? Are you wanting to do this for the next five years, the next 10 years or 20 years? If so, then don't do things now that are going to kill you so that you can't do it longer. So it's a marathon, not a sprint. Be patient with your current situation. Recognize that it might get easier later while also remembering that you might never get to that ideal situation. So give yourself grace and do the best you can with what you have now. And basically don't stop writing until your life is easier, unless that's what you truly want to do. In a few years, you might be astonished at how much you've accomplished during the years when you're just plugging along, doing your best. We, I will make the note that this is probably honestly the hardest thing, the consistency thing. I, I've seen so many authors now that I've been in this, I don't know, 12 years, I guess, the self-publishing, you know, we, the, we, I remember the people that were successful or they had like a really killer series, like in 2013 or something, they really took off and then they had health issues or, you know, whatever it was and they disappeared for years. And that's, these things happen, but the people who become successful authors and get to have careers, they're consistent. They're able to put out books every year. And it's okay if that's not in the cards right now. It's not like you can't, start that later but just it i hate i hate saying that because it's so boring you know it's the whole what is it consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds but it's the thing where people say like hey um you're having quite a bit of success what do you think the secret is i'm like well i just keep publishing books (laughs) you know and you kind of accumulate a fan base over time and i haven't gone anywhere and you'll see that with kind of your favorite authors in your genre. I mean, a lot of the traditionally published authors that every, this are like household names. Now they got their start in like the seventies or eighties and they put out a book every year or more. So it's hard. Not everybody can do it, but that is sort of kind of getting the ball rolling and keeping it rolling is super helpful. Like, you know, I mean, I don't, it's hard, but if you can do it, it's amazing. And if nothing else, if you can be consistent, through the release of this series like we're talking about a particular series and you know maybe you take a breather in between it'll be a little easier uh, coming back because you'll have something of a fan base that's waiting for you but uh, just something to work toward and of course if you can get ahead that always helps like if you're struggling to get that August release uh, one year but then the next year you had like a really good couple months uh, don't publish it right away just hold it start working on the next one and then you get a little bit ahead and that that's one thing that will help you consistently consistently release books. All right. I think we just have one more section here to cover guys. And this is as your series progresses, you're going to want to continue to promote books like your book one, usually, although if you're doing something like romance or complete standalone cozy mystery series or something, you actually have the advantage of being able to randomly promote book seven if you can get a book bub for it or uh, do the other advertising sites. But for most of us that have the, or I would say not most of us, but those of us do like fantasy and sci-fi where you really have to read them in order, we're going to be promoting book one over and over again. Or maybe we do a bundle eventually of books one through three. That's another option. You know, we just have to, you know, you might want to do it like, I'm saying you know a lot, but every time you release a new book in the series, you may alternate promoting book one, you know, running a sale, make it free or the box set if you get to that point. And uh, I would say ideally you might want to keep some ads going all the time on your book one, especially if you find that it converts pretty well. I've talked about having the experience now that I've done a number of series where some book ones just convert much better and I can make book one break even on advertising and then everything else in the rest of the series is gravy. And I have other book ones that <laughs> just like, Oh man, this isn't even worth advertising. Uh, not with the pay-per-click stuff. Anyway, I'll do like the free books see now and then and that kind of thing. But uh, 
if you can, that's great. But if you don't, um, sometimes it's worth just putting it all into a two week launch and then doing as much as you can. And then just kind of jumping on social media. Maybe you post some character interviews, you know, a couple of little things now and then to, you know, don't let, re- don't disappear, especially if you're going to be one of these authors that um, you're doing one book a year and it's August. You don't want to disappear until July of the next year. And then, Hey, I got a new book I want to sell. You know, you don't have to do tons, but uh, maybe you do the Facebook author page or you're into TikTok. Just kind of posting updates. You can share fun things related to your genre. Like I said, character interviews, teasers for the next book as you work on it. Those I, I often do that. That's sort of an easy thing. You're just writing along. Oh, that was a cute piece of banter. Throw it on Twitter and Facebook. And, you know, it's just a way. I mean, in, in some ways it can build anticipation for the next book, of course. But it's also like, hey, I'm still here. I'm working on the thing. Don't forget about me. I'm going to have a new book for you in a, in a couple of months. Uh, if you're not someone who's publishing a book every couple months, like most normal people, you're probably going to need to do newsletters more often than with your book releases. Like you might want to do a monthly or at least a quarterly newsletter update. Again, just kind of to remind the reader that you exist, that you're working on the next book and give them something of value with your newsletter. Maybe you're running a sale on your other series that you've already written, or maybe you just finished reading a good book and you you think that your readers would like it. So you write a little review for them in the newsletter. Uh, You know, anything that can kind of add value while at the same time, (laughs) just, I'm still here. Uh, Because the last thing we wanted is your newsletter subscribers to forget who you were. And then you email them 10 months after they signed up for the first time and then they just unsubscribe and report you for spam because I don't know who this is. Who the heck is this? Uh, You know, again, just every time you're running, releasing a new book is a good idea to run some promos and sales of the book one. The idea is like, you're, you're going to have some attrition. Things happen. People may not remember your series, but if you just keep trying to get people in every time you release a new book, by the time you get up to book five or six, you may have a pretty good sized fan base and, you know, getting to the point where, okay, you're actually making some substantial money. is um, a goal for a lot of us listening to this podcast. I, I would think so something to work towards always trying to get a few new people every time you re- have a new release. And, uh, you know, so you're hearing us talk about trying to stay active and, and showing off, you know, as much content as you can in between releases. It can sort of sound like a burden to produce that much additional content to keep pushing between releases, but it really doesn't need to be. Uh, like, my situation is strange because, again, I tend to commission a lot of art, so I usually have stuff to share. Just if I, I just recently did a very long thread of art that I have done. And believe me, it was very active and people were engaged, but you don't need to do that either. This is a situation where showing your homework can be super useful. Presumably you worked very hard on your book uh, and probably not all of that is translated to specifically words on the page. So you can talk about character inspiration and the, the research that you had to do, scenes that you had to cut, all this stuff, which is work that has already been done is points of conversation that you can bring up and it's really very interesting to people who are enthusiastic about your books to be able to see this stuff so they'll probably be even happier to be getting it and they won't care that you didn't make it specifically for them or specifically for this purpose it's still good stuff and they want to see it um it also helps on social media in particular to actually call for engagement uh you know ask questions ask for opinions 
This is useful in two ways. Number one, algorithms love it when there's activity on a post. So people, more people will see it. So it sort of multiplies the value of that post. But also, if you're the kind of person who really can't carry the, the, the you know, the community conversation because you're just, it doesn't, you're, you're not that social. If you can get the community sort of supporting its own conversation and having conversation amongst itself, as long as it's civil, um, then that's fantastic because that, that, that keeps them engaged in you without you even being a part of it. So try to, try to get engagement going. And gauge reactions to this stuff, both to better inform your promotional material and to help you understand what people like about the stories and so they can shape them and to fit the audience better. Like when you start talking about characters and you start giving them interviews and start asking questions, look at the answers. And if you, again, if you think the character that everybody loves is, you know, your male lead and it turns out that your second lead you know or the the female lead or or heck a background character is really what's engaging people in the series it's fantastic for you to know that particularly if you've got three or four more books in the series to write because you can put them closer to the spotlight and people will be a lot happier so there's not just marketing value in keeping the conversation going there's actual craft value craft value is good right um my voice cracked i got emotional there joe (laughs) um so make your backlist work for you if you're only able, able to write a book a year. And when you have two books out, congratulations, you've got a backlist. <laughs> so um, participate in multi-author promos, run promotions, do exclusive sales, you know, when you're selling, when you're selling on your, on your website or whatever. Um, and we've got so many, web, so many podcast episodes where just go back and listen to them if you need ideas for this stuff, right? And give freebies to your list, run giveaways, and definitely keep growing your newsletter list. And every time you have one of the event, these events going on, it makes sure you tell your readers about them in between book sales, especially the multi-author promos. If you don't have something to read, something for them to read, and um, you are in a genre where, like romance, where they read a book a day, then you want to be able to provide them with stuff so that they go to your book, your newsletter and they know they're going to get something good from it on a regular basis. Uh, and again, I do know authors who don't promote other authors. So it is even in romance and that's totally fine. You just, you got to pick what works for you. Um, if you're just starting out, don't freak out too much over marketing or all of this, but the majority of your focus on writing new stuff, it's fine to run promotions through websites like ENT, free booksy, et cetera, but don't do pay-per-click advertising yet, unless it won't hurt you financially to lose money and don't let yourself get discouraged because things are so slow in the beginning. Um, starting out right now is really, really tough as I've learned with my recent book launch and in a, especially when you're in a competitive market, I mean, how many authors do we know that write fantasy that are in a position like me where they can't do more than two or three books a year. And I'm sorry, this is discouraging, but in a super competitive genre, it's almost impossible to get attention when you're just barely starting out. And, um, a lot of the people who reach out for me for coaching, are really good authors and they've got really good packages. You know, they've got the the book cover, the description, their writing is good. They just don't have enough books out and they haven't been doing it long enough. And it shows in the number of reviews they have and the size of their newsletter list, et cetera. It's really easy to get discouraging in the beginning. So don't, do not allow yourself to get discouraged because discouragement leads to burnout. It leads to making wrong choices. It leads to taking longer to write your next book. I mean, that kind of it. And I'm, my, my strengths, empathy, or um, most of my emotional strengths are not, are, I don't really have emotional strengths. <laughs> I'm very logic driven. And uh, I don't have, I don't like emotional things don't affect me um, as much as they do somebody else. Like if you see, you know, when you're on Facebook, other people's stresses. So don't do things that, especially if emotions, 
factor into how motivated you are and how much you write. Don't do things that are going to slow you down or stop you from writing. So figure out what makes you tick, what helps you be most productive and do that. And don't worry about how much you're selling right now. Focus more on what you're learning. So like with my most recent book launch, I shared my numbers last week, my next book, even though it's going to be technically in the same series, I'm going to be changing a bunch of things with it because I want to see, it's all an experiment for me, you know, this new pen, pen name. Um, so for example, my titles are all doctor something. I'm like, you know what? Most romances books have something like falling for the doctor or, um, I don't know, chasing the doctor. I don't know. So I'm going to, this next book cover or this next book launch, I'm going to try a different book title and just see what happens. I'm also going to try a different style of, of, um, book cover. I'm going to do the vector. I actually found somebody on Fiverr who is, lives in the Ukraine. And just, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm reaching out to you while all this crazy stuff's going on, but could you do something for me? And she's like, yes, please. A lot of people are ignoring her right now. So, which is understandable, you know? Anyway, so my next book launch will be, and I, we probably won't be doing the podcast anymore, but I'll tell you right now, it's going to be titled something like falling for falling in love with Dr. Nelson or something like that. And then the book cover is going to be vectorized illustration. And so the whole point of this is to learn what you're from, what you're doing, make things better for the next time. Don't get discouraged, focus on writing books to get the ball rolling, bury your head in the work and just do the best that you can not to distract yourself. Um, and then more on multi-author promos. This is basically how I got my start as an author. Things are different now, but working with a bunch of authors can help you move the needle a little and a little here and there leads to more later. And so in the beginning, you're going to want to do things that involve other authors because it expands your readership, but you're going to reach a point probably where you need to tie down or stop doing those kinds of things. And that's going to be up to you. Um, so above all, only take advice that works for you and your personality. If you don't want to do something, but FOMO, fear of missing out, has you down, or you feel like you need to do it to be successful, don't do it if you don't want to do it. Um, Forcing yourself to do things you hate won't make you successful. It will make you miserable. You can't sustain the energy required to do exhausting tasks. Um, So find what works for you and stick to that. All right. This has been a lot for people, I think, to process, probably. I will say, looking back, like, if I could say what helped, because my first series was the one that allowed me to become a full-time author. It took maybe a year and a half. Like, I think around book six is when I started making more than I had at the day job. And the thing that I already talked about in this show was doing that short story and giving it away for free and having a good cover on it. So I think it is hard to stand out. Like Andrea talked about, you can spend a ton on the pay-per-click advertising and just feel like you're so far from breaking even, but doing some, doing free things and putting them out there and having them be good, uh, hopefully good uh, and enticing, to, you know, this using the characters from your series, showing them having fun banter or whatever your strength is. Maybe you do awesome fight scenes and that's going to be the thing you highlight in your short story. Um, so that's a way early on to kind of, it's something you can always promote on your social media site. Nobody cares if you're giving away a free book. Nobody's going to be like, oh my God, that author only promotes himself all the time. They're gonna be like, oh, you know, do another one. So that's an option. It's it's frustrating. And I feel like a lot of authors want to skip the, st- the step where they're like, 
sharing and giving things away for free. But I, I, we've talked about this not that long ago. I've seen a lot of authors who kind of built their career that way, whether it was breaking up their books into podcasts and putting out a chapter a week or doing a serial on a, a web serial platform. Uh, it's slow and you're not making money while you're doing it. But and it doesn't mean you have to just do free. You can be doing it concurrently while you're working on the next book. And um, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of like, you're doing a lot of extra work, but all we will see authors all the time complain and say, I can only write a book every one or two years. And those same authors will have 10,000 freaking posts on a forum. So if that is you, take a look at yourself and say, okay, what am I going to prioritize to um, have the success I want to have as an author? So just things to think about. Do you guys have any final thoughts on this before we wrap things up? Facebook too, not just forum. I mean, I see authors that are posting two, three times a day on their wall, responding to all the comments, going to Facebook groups, responding. I'm like, guys, you could take the words you wrote on Facebook and write a novel. (laughs) So yes, I agree with that. It's just obvious on forums because it shows how many posts they've done over there. You know, it's like this author or this person has contributed 8,932 posts on this forum. And that's only the forum you know about. Uh, you know, we all need ways for casting and stuff. I'm, I'm just not, just realize, you know, I mean, you may have more time than you think. Sometimes it means giving up something else to make that time. Joe, are you done? <laughs> uh, I guess I'll say that when we talk about whether or not you have, you feel like you have time, uh, any number of words is more than zero. Uh, I, again, I'm going to never get it right, but Neil Gaiman, I think, wrote Coraline 300 words at a time, 300 words a day. And he eventually wrote a book that was iconic. Like, yeah, if you got to take it slow, you take it slow, but you can make progress even if that progress is tiny. So don't discount, uh, you know, well, I only have five minutes today. Five minutes is more than zero minutes. So, you know, just keep plugging away. All right, cool. And a couple of other episodes we've done in the past that you may find helpful kind of related to this is um, how we would each start from scratch writing or publishing books today. And then we did an interview a year and a half ago with Sarah Rosette writing series that sell well. And I'll put that in the show notes for this episode. I think it's 125. And Andrea, I believe you have something to mention before we sign off. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) I saw the purple writing. (laughs) Um, so I am with this whole, we're closing the podcast. I am actually going to retire as an author coach. Um, I'm no longer offering one-on-one coaching sessions and I'm not planning on releasing any new courses anytime soon. If ever, just I'm, I am so excited to be writing again. And during my burnout phase was when I created a lot of my courses. And so I'm focusing all my time on homeschool and writing and not on my nonfiction stuff anymore. And I haven't been doing it for a while since the last course, which was in 2020. So, um, halfway through like summer of 2020 anyway. So I'm because of all this and we're ending the podcast, a wallet, whatever, you know, so I'm putting my courses on sale one more time for 50% off. So go to selfpublishedstrongcourses.com and enter in ending as the coupon code. Uh, those who have taken courses already will still have access to them, but I'm really looking forward to retiring this part of my business. Um, and, and you guys know, I don't do a lot with it. I I really don't. My focus has never been on nonfiction, which is why I have like one or two reviews because I don't ever, I don't, I don't promote my nonfiction books. I don't care. They're there for people who want them. Um, but if you've been wanting to take one of my marketing courses, now is the time to do it with a 50% off discount. And I've got courses on my advanced newsletter marketing course has been very well received. Um, I've got tons of courses, automation sequences, things like that. So especially for newer authors or even authors who've been around for a while and their newsletter is not working for them. So yeah, go check that out. Self-publishedstrongcourses.com. And um, 
Yeah. Does the coupon code colon no longer work? <laughs> Did that one get expired? Uh, yeah, that one's expired. That's really funny. I forgot all about that. <laughs> it's a classic. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And you can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. And we still have the Six Figure Authors Facebook group. Come on by. I think we're letting people back in. After a while, we paused (laughs) after some drama. (laughs) And some of our listeners will know what drama we're talking about. Um, If you want to find out like when I have, when I get pregnant, if that happens, all that stuff, I'm going to all announce that stuff in the Facebook group. So um, yeah. Just so those of you who, cause I do get emails from people who are like, I love hearing about your family. I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I love you guys too. <laughs> All right. Same goes for Joe. If you want to hear if I, or me, it could, like, it could be yes. longer. Yeah. <laughs> it could be a lot longer. <laughs> All right. Thanks everyone. Have a great week. <laughs> See y'all later. So long everybody. <laughs>